Uh, Steve Vines, it is Thursday. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, 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 and not absconded. No. It's nice to see you. Thank you for sparing the time uh, from, you know, your actions down at uh, Admiralty. Uh, just been looking at some of it on the TV and the Reddit uh, live feed. Um, they're throwing some yellow confetti around, sort of miniature uh, Occupy uh, Umbrella Movement uh, stickers saying, we will be back. Uh, and there's one thing that's just come up, which I have to just mention. They've set glitter traps. <laughs> Have you heard about this? I hadn't, no. Uh, what they've done, they've actually covered... Uh, I can't quite work out which road it is, but they've I think covered... it's probably Harcourt Road. Harcourt Road. Yeah. It lo- yeah, it could be, actually. It looks like the back of Tamar, perhaps, anyway. But um, what they've done, they've just basically covered the road with lots of glitter, yellow glitter, there's some white glitter, orange glitter there, and it says that they've laid a massive glitter trap. So if the police try to clear them over that, they're... <laughs> Going to be sparkling glittery. Yes. <laughs> so that's I mean, it, it, it is. Um, it is very much in character with with what's been happening there in this extraordinary protest. It's lasted over two months. Mm. Of course, there's a the, the, the major element of it is political, but this sort of outpouring of creativity. Well, that's right. I mean, the innovation as well, the yeah. humour that was in yeah. there. It's, uh, I mean, y- you know, um, the usual suspects will say, well, you know, it's just a law and order issue. Oh, no, no, let's get rid of it. Well, all right, fair enough. Thank you. Um, but but <laughs> out in, in the real world, um, it, 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 what it demonstrates to me is not that this uh, sort of great... Um, surge of creativity has suddenly occurred in Hong Kong. It's that it must always have been there. Mm. It's just it wasn't visible to the naked eye before. So yet another reason to look back at this movement. And I mean, we are here on a historic day. I, I, I mean, it, sometimes you never know whether things are going to change or not. In this particular instance, we have been told by the police and by the court officials at what time various things will happen today. And it is fairly clear that today will be the end of the big protests. Incidentally, there'll still be uh, an occupation going on in in, in Causeway Bay. We don't Mm. quite know what's going to happen with that. But anyway, this is the central part of the protest. This is a protest that's in its 70th-something day now, I think 75th, 76th day. And it is, you know, you can start using adjectives which actually have a meaning one of them is unprecedented one of them is dramatic another of them is extraordinary and all of these things are literally true there has been this extraordinary development in hong kong drawn onto the streets and not only onto the streets i mean you talk about the 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 um reddit blog but the 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 internet is alive Mm. With, with all sorts of blogs and and other materials of people talking about this, discussing about this. And we are told, I mean, this is what I find just absolutely astonishing. We are told this is terrible for Hong Kong's reputation. Well, it may be among the tycoon class who think that Hong Kong should only have a reputation associated with making money. But I can assure you, in the rest of the world, Hong Kong's reputation has gone up by leaps and bounds. People saying, who knew that tiny little Hong Kong, you know, which which people, many people thought was a sort of glorified banking centre come stock exchange, actually is full of these creative people, full of these passionate people, full of people who are prepared to make a sacrifice 
to make a difference. It is uh, quite amazing that it's gone on this long, I suppose, especially when you look at some of the events, uh, like the clearing of Mong Kok, for example, and the pictures that we discussed last week, you know, that have been going around the world, not exactly keeping the police in a, in a bright light. But uh, on that subject, just when I think about it, last week uh, there was an email or a message came in uh, saying you were biased. Well, I... I, I... I, maybe that is so. I mean, um, my, my view is that no honest person isn't biased. Mm. So if I'm biased, yes, I'm sure I am. But I'm also disappointed, I think, more than, than anything else, because my, I come from a standpoint that the police have a very good reputation in Hong Kong. My personal experience of dealing with the police has, by and large, been in, entirely favourable. Mm. And what I find very, very disappointing is the way the police have been used in this political way. Absolutely right. As a substitute Mm. for proper dialogue with people who have discontent. And, you know, a lot of it comes, and I don't think we can brush this under the carpet, a lot of this comes from leadership of the police force under Andy Jung, who seems to be a most extraordinarily political official who wants the police force to be in the front line of the battle against the pro-democracy movement rather than the front line in the battle for the defence of Hong Kong. These two things are not the same. Well, one thing that has crossed my mind, there's been a lot of photographic uh, evidence, one way or the other, that's, that's been taken over the, uh, over the weeks. Videos and, and pictures that have gone around the world as well, as I said before, not necessarily putting the authorities in a good light. Do you ever see that there will be an inquiry to find out who some of these alleged triads might have really been? And- well, I mean, the, the, the proper place for such an inquiry is, is the legislature, and we know for a fact that because the pro-democrats have, uh, sorry, but the pro-government people have a majority in the legislature, that they will block any investigation of that kind. They've already said they're going to do that. Mm. I mean, this is an enormous evasion of responsibility. And incidentally, just let's contrast and compare this with what's been happening in the United States this week. And this is, this is where you see the, the, the anti-democrats in their true light. They say, oh my God, did you know that in the United States they've been illegally torturing suspects and doing all these bad things to them? How do we know that? Because a congressional inquiry has been diligently working, I think for seven years, to discover this evidence under... Um, Uh, Diane Feinstein, and this evidence has now been produced on the floor of Congress. People now have access to this enormously detailed report published under the guidance and under the the imprint of the legislature detailing what America's own government did. This is the democratic system working. This isn't the democratic system collapsing. The whole problem with LegCo, among others, but a fundamental problem with LegCo, is it refuses to be the body that is accountable, you know, that calls the government to account. It it, it now functions as either a cheerleader or a a sort of, you know, platform for for, for noisemaking. It doesn't do this constructive calling to account. I mean, LegCo voted not to investigate the payments made to the chief executive, not to investigate it. I mean, you know, maybe it would be found, as he says, that all was above board and it was all, you know, nice and dandy. But to vote not to investigate something like that is extraordinary. It was a pretty massive story. I mean... It was an enormous story. In fact, Um, there have been a few enormous stories that have gone very quietly by, haven't they? I mean, you know, why hasn't... 
well, I, I can I can think of many things that that LegCo has failed to investigate because the pro government block is under orders to ensure that the legislators legislature does not do its job of scrutiny so the chances of a proper assessment being made of what happened in the policing and i think that needs to be done it needs to be done actually for the police force as much as for society as a whole i i i think we can be fairly sure but if we just you know draw back to the wider picture i mean what is going to happen after today it is true that you will be able to drive a car through harcourt road well big deal um, it is true that the streets will be cleared. Is it true that this is the end of the democracy movement, as I some of the more so. overexcitable <laughs> people mm. have suggested? Or is it indeed true? And this was... I had a very poignant interview that will, will, will be aired on, on The Pulse, which is an RTHK TV programme this Friday, with Yvonne Leung this week. And I said to her, thinking that she would say to me, she's one of the leaders of the student movement, I said, well, what do you think have been the successes of the movement? And she said, we haven't succeeded at all. I, you know, normally when you're involved in movement, the first thing you say is, well, you know, we've done this, that. And she said, and I was a little surprised by this, she said, look, we haven't gone any closer to overturning the decision of the Chinese government to, to, to install this phony democracy system in Hong Kong. We are exactly where we were at the beginning of these protest movements, therefore we failed. And then I said, but, you know, have you... Do, do you think that you've started a process? Do you think that process will go on? And she said, oh, well, that's a different thing. We, we obviously have started a process. And I, I think she was being very modest, I mean, as somebody who's very much in the front line of this. But, you know, this is a genie that ain't going to go back in the bottle. I think this is as clear as the nose on your face. This is a movement that, of course, will suffer a big setback today. I don't think you should sugarcoat that from, from anybody's point of view. And um, Lun Chung Ying finally got smart by, instead of making stupid comments and agitating people onto the streets, by spending most of his time outside Hong Kong and doing nothing and letting the movement <laughs> sort of <laughs> dwindle and become factional and come to the stage where it is today. But that's not the big picture. The big picture is and I don't think this can be overstressed, is that the motive that really drove people onto the streets, I don't actually think is democracy as such. It's this absolute determination that Hong Kong should not just be another Chinese city. Mm. And anybody who thinks after what's gone on since the last couple of months that it's going to be easy to force Hong Kong into the mould of being, say, another Shanghai, another Guangzhou or wherever... It's got a hell of a job on their hands. Well, this is what was said during back chat this morning as well. You know, the, the consensus with a lot of people, particularly young people, is that, as you said, they don't want to be a, another Chinese city. They don't want to be Shanghai. They don't want to be Beijing. They want to be Hong Kong and, and to retain some sort of originality. Do you see that actually happening in the long term? Because let's face it, since we last spoke on Thursday, they've now dumped the... Uh, <coughs> The joint, you're right there. Yeah, sorry about that. That's all right, it's sorry, fine. Business. I don't mean to splutter. <laughs> Just blew my ears. <laughs> um, where were we? Yes, uh, do you think that... that, that in the long term, this in is the long achievable. Term. Well, I mean, again, I think you have to take a view of history rather than a view of tomorrow. The, the trend in history actually is for component parts of bigger entities to be more assertive of themselves. Mm. I mean, I happen to come from the United Kingdom. Well, who could argue in the United Kingdom where Scotland has recently uh, managed to achieve 
uh, not independence, but a degree of autonomy that was totally unthinkable when I was living there, which after all isn't that long ago. You look at the breakup of of the whole Eastern Bloc of the Soviet Union. It's not, a, I mean, the Soviet Empire. It's not just the component parts of the Soviet Empire. You know, Yugoslavia doesn't exist anymore. It's Czechoslovakia doesn't exist anymore. What it is is that people are increasingly, and this is a trend of history, are increasingly demanding autonomy to control their destiny in a place where they have a distinctive identity. And at the moment, um, Hong Kong people are most definitely struggling to do that. Strangely enough, although all these pro-government people keep ignoring it, they actually are doing that under a constitutional right because this is what the basic law says they're entitled to do. Now, you may say, well, the basic law ends in 2049. Well, if you know, or any... 2047, is it? If you know, or, or, or anybody else is clever enough to know what's going to be happening in that particular year, mm-hmm. give us a call. It would be very interesting. I don't have that sort of crystal ball, but I do know that right now, mm-hmm. this yearning for the realisation of a separate identity is about as strong as it's ever been. It's almost a, an awakening, really, isn't it? Because this is unprecedented, there's that word again. Um, you know, under the British, for example, then, of course, we had the handover and uh, under Beijing to a certain extent. Uh, and... Uh, and this has never really happened because Hong Kong people have always really sort of gone along with whoever's been been yes, ruling. Yes, and, and and you know, I mean, it, 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 Hong Kong's history is peculiar. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it was one of the last British colonies on the planet. It was one of the few colonies that never liberated itself in 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 inverted commas in the way that other British colonies did. It was a process of transition from British rule to Chinese rule without one iota of self-determination being exercised by the Hong Kong people. You know, there was a sort of sham consultation and it was sort of said, well, yes, yes, very interesting, right. The big boys will now tell you what's going to happen. So, you know, everything about Hong Kong is unusual. Mm. That, to me, is one reason why it's so interesting and that, to me, is why, if you look at opinion polls nowadays, there's this growing line of people, when they're asked how they identify themselves, they identify themselves not as Hong Kong Chinese, certainly not as British Chinese, mm. but as Hong, Hong Kongers. Kongers. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, I've just uh, seen a message to say that they're starting to, I think, tighten yeah. this noose now. Uh, Exit E2 of the Admiralty MTR station has now been closed. Uh, looking at some pictures as well, I'll tell you the biggest swarm the journalists. Yes. I've never seen yes, so many. Yes. Yes. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, I've been in, in many of these demonstrations where you've got some fairly, fairly um, hairy things going on, and suddenly the demonstrators all turn around and, and, and point to us, the hacks, and go, the whole world is watching. <laughs> and it's a kind of protection, you sure. know. Yeah, it really absolutely. is. I mean, the great unwashed, of whom I'm proud to be a member of uh, the journalist course, it, uh, are not usually hailed as uh, as being necessary to be anywhere on earth, but they seem to be necessary at demonstrations. Well, certainly in this day and age where you've got this instant communication, you've got instant pictures, video, I mean, there's even somebody wandering around with a uh, live uh, feed through his phone yeah. uh, being posted. And to I'm Reddit. sure more than one. 
that's the whole point. The whole thing is changed. Uh, and of course, we're in the middle of a conversation with Steve Vines, as is normal at this time of the morning. Steve, we uh, left uh, just before the news talking about uh, the Occupy. I now notice that the pictures are showing uh, the first barrier being deconstructed. I've just seen a, a, an LPG tank <laughs> come from somewhere. I don't know Goodness. quite where that was hiding. Uh, the box cutters are out. In fact, there's another one. Look. I, th- I think they were used as weights, actually, rather than for the gas. Right, I'm sure. Uh, I'm, I'm just guessing here. Of course, we do have our reporters out and about uh, here on Radio 3, and if anything is uh, to be mentioned, you will hear it first here on the radio. Now, other things happening in Hong Kong, of course, uh, Rihanna is now at court, which, of course, we can't discuss too much about, obviously. Well, like, we can't ongoing, discuss but, the specifics of the case, but... Right. We, we probably can talk about... I mean, this is the Indonesian helper mm, that's right. who who is alleging that she was, um, according to her evidence, I mean, extremely badly treated by her employers. But, I mean, um, as you say, we, we it, it's difficult in the middle of a court case for reasons of subjudice to get into the, mm. um, the either side of the argument. But, but it does raise the bigger question of the system in Hong Kong, which is a system that does facilitate abuse. Because if you are tied, as you are in Hong Kong, to a single employer, and your scope for leaving that employer means you have to leave. I mean, you have to leave Hong Kong. Mm, mm. It does mean that, that, and this is hardly the first case, this does seem, seem to be a more extreme case, but this is hardly the first case reported. Of, of alleged abuse. It does seem that it's, it's a recipe for people who are that way inclined to exploit the system and to do just terrible things to people who are forced by law to live in their houses. Remember, you can't live outside if you're a a domestic helper, but under the law you have to remain in the house of your employer. You can't change employer. Your rights are so circumscribed that if you are an unscrupulous person and you wish to do terrible things, you you don't have carte blanche to do terrible things, but you do have the basic, if you like, infrastructure within which to do terrible things. And I think this is very worrying. And it's extraordinary that in the year 2014... um, we actually have laws in Hong Kong that encourage this kind of domestic slavery. I find the whole thing very difficult on both sides because, you know, let's let's be fair about this, that uh, on both sides, you know, there are problems. I mean, I've, I've read instances where helpers have come to, uh, to work with a family and, and things have gone missing or, she, you know, she's uh, decided she doesn't want to work there anymore. Uh, so, you know, it is a, a two-sided thing. But obviously in terms of, of actual violence... Of well, course, it's a that, two-sided thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, anybody who sits here and says anybody who comes to work as a domestic helper in Hong Kong is doing a perfect job is a total idiot. Obviously, yeah, that, that ain't the case. Mm. But I think the way the system works, it isn't two-sided equal. I mean, the, 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 the power relationship between the employee and the employer here. I mean, always there's an advantage in, in, on behalf of the employer. That's in the nature of things. But here I think that the, the sheet has been tilted that much more away from the rights of the um, domestic helpers. And, you know, it's uh, the system here of this very widespread use of domestic helpers has done remarkable things for Hong Kong and people don't perhaps recognise that. I mean, the number of women who it's liberated to go to work 
uh, some of them may not be so happy to be liberated to go to work. But the fact of the matter is, the the opportunities for women to pursue careers here is much greater than it is in many other places, simply because the, the daily necessity of looking after children, keeping house clean, which always, not always, but generally falls on women rather than men, mm. does mean that they're, they're able not to do that and they can go out and pursue their careers even when they have very young children. Now, if they want to, ladies I'm talking now, if, you know, if they were to pursue their careers, uh, and why not, because we have equal rights here, uh, is it because they want to pursue their career, or is it out of necess- necessity? The, what I'm coming to here is that has the world changed now that, that in order to keep the house together financially, both parties have to work? I mean, the UK, well, not, not, for example... just here, obviously, well, elsewhere. The UK, yes. for example, I mean, you know, they were actually singling out ladies who prefer to stay at home with the family. Yeah, I mean, I think um, some... Some women just take the view that, you know, this is going to be the best time in their lives to watch their children grow up, they want to be with them as much as possible. Uh, That seems to me perfectly reasonable. But it's this economic imperative to um, whether you're able to do that, whether a single income is going to be sufficient in the household to allow you, in Hong Kong, for example, to allow you to buy a home. God, everybody here knows what that costs for uh well it costs for anybody but for a family of average means i'm not talking about very poor because that's it they ain't gonna ever be able to buy a home but i'm talking about what are known as middle class families the struggle even to be able to afford a deposit make the repayments for a not very lavish home here are enormous and then you've got the other bills to deal with so no wonder both parts, you know, the, the husband and wife, have to go out to work. Some of them, I'm quite sure, would prefer not to do that. But, but at least with this large number of domestic helpers here, that, that there is a, a better choice available. I mean, I know from friends who are in, in, in Britain where domestic help is really just for the very rich, the, the juggling they have to do with young children is just extraordinary and keeps causing problems. Got an email here from Scott who says, another problem with the system, this is uh, talking about the maid system, is how it allows the upper middle class and above to separate themselves from the lower class. The lower (coughs) class can't afford a maid because the middle and above have maids, therefore Hong Kong never developed a daycare system that would allow the lower class to potentially access education and employment opportunities because somebody must stay at home with the child even kindergarten and the school don't provide eight hours cover. He says it's a regressive colonial system in every way, promoting racism, elitism and a whole riot of evil. Well, he, he's sure as hell is on to something mm. about this daycare. Um, it is very, very difficult to find, um, if you've got both parts of the household working, the, the, the mother and the father, it is very hard to find comprehensive all-day daycare, for, particularly, obviously, for, for very young children. Usually it's called grandma. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> um, um, that, that, that does all of that. I mean, he's quite right. It's part of the, the, the network that this government just doesn't seem to think is important. I mean, you've got the lack of daycare facilities for very young children, the inadequate facilities at the other end of the spectrum for the very old, and and in Hong Kong in particular, filial duties are taken very seriously. So a lot of working families, even if they've got children who are going to school, Mm. have to think of how they're going to look after their parents who are 
housebound or for some reason other reason incapacitated that that support system in hong kong is very frail indeed do you think because if we look at uh, i don't know the last couple of generations perhaps where kindergarten is now really uh, an essential part of education here in hong kong uh, the carer is looking after the child because both parents are working we've just ascertained that this is quite a common thing what do you think the effect is on that particular child as they're growing up? <laughs> well, that's an extremely interesting question. And I'm sure studies have been done about this. I, I, I have to say bluntly, I'm not aware of them. But I mean, you know, a lot of them, a lot of um, parents, uh, when I first came to Hong Kong, I, I'd hear say, oh, we want to get a Filipina maid because she can speak English. Now, it's it's a well-known fact, and uh, I'm not, not breaking new ground here, that perhaps the sort of English spoken in the Philippines is not, uh, obviously, it's not a native language for anybody in the Philippines. It's rather different mm. from standard English. And it is true that you've got a generation of kids who speak perfect English Filipino. <laughs> and they, some of these kids, and I've seen it and I hate it, very tiny little kids have got a, a, a diminutive overseas domestic um, worker looking after them, and they are rude as hell to these women. And I think that's terrible because they've been they've been bred into them this sense of entitlement that these are servants of the family and they can say anything they like to them. I mean, there's also one has to say on the other hand many examples of very good relationships between children and helpers but mm. again you know it, it this is a kind of big minefield of um parental relationships family relationships it's, it it goes into that mixture in a very funny way whereas children who who spend a lot of time in day centers apparently i'm just saying apparently because i don't know the details of this actually because they're interacting with other kids of their age and and they have an authority figure in 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 the person of the minder in those centers um seem to function very well well i guess we'll see how they grow up on that yeah. one yeah 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 the, the verdict's <laughs> kind of the jury's out on that <laughs> well, as it is in the ariana case well Not that's right at the moment. that's uh, yeah that's ongoing of course uh, something else that's been in the press, of course, that the hold-up now with the with the, uh, the the shot into Central Line or the line that's going all the way up yeah. through the, the New Territories, relics. In Wong Tai Sin, yes. Wong Tai Sin, the well. I mean, it's a bunch of... I'm not trying to be simplistic, but it's a bunch of stones that, you know... Well, but you know what, what fascinates me about this... The going to scream at that is, one, is, sure. is the close <laughs> correlation between those people, and we can name the guilty names if, if you want me to, but those people... And it's very funny, it, it, it also reflects the politics of this, who are most vocal in their contempt for Hong Kong people, are also most dismissive of these relics. They say, ah, you know, ah, Hong Kong's got better things to do than worry about his past. But one of the reasons why people are concerned about these relics and are campaigning for them to remain in the place where they belong, so to speak, is, again, something which is anathema to all these um, uh, panda huggers is that it it enhances Hong Kong's identity. People say, look, you know, so much of our heritage has been torn down, just thrown away and replaced by a large block of offices or, or apartments. Let's keep the, the remnants of what we've got and honour it and respect it. Now, is it the case 
that that if that costs x billion dollars and involves you know x months of delay in building this line is it is that a price worth paying in this right. particular instant well i think you can have a sensible debate about that mm. As ever, the government, because it doesn't involve uh, building property, has said, no, well, I'm not really interested in the debate, let's just go for the cheapest option. I'm not sure that's been the most impressive response to I think the cheapest this. option is basically to, to dig everything up and sort of replant it that's somewhere else. That's what they've else. decided to do. That's, that's right, exactly yeah. what they've decided to do. Yeah. Just say, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, if, if they get chipped and damaged, yeah, well, you know, collateral damage, you know, happens all the time, doesn't it? <laughs> but look at uh, Murray House. I mean, that was Yes, and, and it's... It, it, well, you say it's fantastic. I, I also think it's rather sad. I mean... It, what, to move it into... To a, move it down to the su- su- yeah. southern tip of... Hong Kong Island, where it just doesn't belong, it isn't in its historical context, mm. and it's a kind of sh- sad shopping centre, right? You're going to be whinging about Queen Victoria's statue next. That got moved <laughs> as well, didn't it? <laughs> but, you know, identity is important. Mm. History is important. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a history at all cost guy, but I do like to see things conserved and respected. Where, where it is feasible to do so. If it really isn't feasible, then, you know, see what we can do. And in the case of these um, relics, which are very ancient, I mean, it was very exciting to discover them sure. um, and to know more about Hong Kong's, certainly, I mean, this goes way back to pre-colonial history. I mean, colonial history is only a couple of, um, couple of centuries, you know. It's, it's a puff in, in terms of history of the world. So I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I am worried about this. What did they dig out of the walled city before they knocked it all down? I I don't know. So I, mean, I can't ever remember hearing of anything. You I know, think that the whole point the about the walled city, and I have to say, this was the very first story I ever covered in Hong Kong, and I had to read up on it like mad. This is I can tell you exactly the year. It's 1987, um, I, and as I understand it. The, the the only really, other than the whole area itself, which was a bizarre and unusual area, which which was, is the bit in the middle, which indeed has been preserved as a museum, which is the remnants of the old magistracy right. that was established, I think, someone will correct me, but I'll take a risk and say on air, I think it's a Qing dynasty mm. magistracy that was, was established there and was the the source of authority in that area, which, um, in case anybody doesn't know, was this bizarre area in, in Hong Kong that wasn't quite controlled by the British authorities. It wasn't controlled by the mainland authorities. It was a vestige from... Well, people could go on the run. People went on the run. Mm. It was a place where there were many prostitutes and drug addicts and illegal dentists. That's what I remember going around. I spent quite a bit of time going around there, sort of trying to understand what it was mm. and you know i was expecting sort of fiendish opium dens and i saw fiendish drills <laughs> well, of illegal dentists operating there one of our uh, when, I, when i first came here uh, i was at uh, i was at hot gossip the head dj hot gossip back in 85 and, and one of our djs actually took us on a trip around the walled city and of course coming straight into hong kong now having never ever been here before and straight into this walled city was it was scary and it was really enchanting at the same time. It was almost like being in one of these Gong Fu movies or something. It was, it was. It was. I mean, I, I remember 
um, one one big aspect of it was there was always water dripping everywhere. I don't know if you remember <laughs> the that. Cables all over. Yeah, the, the cables. Place. Well, oh, that was the other thing. They were tapping electricity <laughs> illegally. I mean, it was a den of things that shouldn't be done. And it, it, it I mean, if you go there now, as I, funnily enough, I've been there fairly recently, and I can't tell you the good reason why. But anyway, I was, and I looked at this thing that they've built. It, it, it's a park. Most of the walled city is now a park in an area that badly needs a park. So that that's all good. Um, the, the museum they've done has actually been done quite well. So, you know, it can be done in Hong Kong. It can be done reasonably. Um, they, they've preserved a pictorial record in the park of, of what used to be in, in the walled city. So, you know, it's not as though Hong Kong is incapable of doing this stuff. And And, you know, I can't think for one moment of a reason why the walled city should have been maintained as it was it was actually a very dangerous place it was dangerous dark damp scary and as you said full of all sorts of illegalities and, yes, and people and, rats. On the run. and, and lots and lots of <laughs> lots rats, of rats. I, I must say i saw more rats there than i've seen anywhere else in hong kong and they seem perfectly happy I'm sure they they've all gone somewhere else now. What about other historical parts of Hong Kong? Any sort of buildings well, that especially what, what, what bring is, to mind? What really, really saddens me is if you go... There, there's the so-called Hong Kong History Trail on Hong Kong Island, mm. and it consists almost entirely of photographs, because it's all gone. It says, here used to be. Oh, now let's go to the next one. Here used to be. Gone. More or less gone. And I think that Hong Kong has suffered from this almost almost careless destruction of its history. There's now, as you know, a big battle on to, to decide what to do with the central, the old central government right. offices yeah. in, in um, Lower Albert Road on, on Hong Kong Island. Now, these are not buildings of great artistic merit. Nobody but, uh, but the mother of the architect could believe <laughs> that. But, but, you know, they are part of Hong Kong's history. I don't seriously think you should preserve the whole complex because it sure as hell ain't worth preserving. It's certainly worth preserving some of it. Steve Vines, always a pleasure and I enjoyed it and I hope you did too folks uh, you want to be in touch about anything it's radiopete at gmail.com Phil will be back uh, next Thursday if not before in fact he'll be back tomorrow at 9.30 Peter King in on the brew through till 1 o'clock 5 minutes away from the news at 11